The following podcast is a live recording of a radio show first broadcast by Fresh FM with assistance from New Zealand On Air. Fresh FM is a community access media station based in Te Tauihu, the top of the South Island, New Zealand. If you or your group would like to know more about how you can have a program on our station, please contact us. Visit our website freshfm.net for our contact details. Welcome to Voices from the Brook on Fresh FM, a fortnightly update from Nelson's unique eco-haven, the Brook Waimarama Sanctuary. Atamaria here from the studio at Fresh FM and welcome to Voices from the Brook. I'm your host, Kirsten Rothgaard. It's my happy place. I love being here, I love being in the bush, I love the isolation, I love the birds, I love the trees and I like what I'm doing. And what exactly do you do? What team are you I'm a, of? I'm a monitor and trapper. And, and you so, go way up on those steep hills. Yes, I do. I do. I get dropped off and I do my lines and then I walk out through the sanctuary to the visitor centre. And we've got Derek over here. And uh, just tell me um, what you were telling these lovely people. Oh, lots of lies. No, what were, no you, what were you talking about? Just the, everything about the sanctuary and um, how it's developed, how it's even changed after 700 mils of, of rain that, that changed and um, how it looked inside before we put the fence up. Um, yeah, so just about the dangers that were there that are to our native species. And they're um, taking that message away to America and they're going to spread the word about it. Well, I think they, they're, they're going to spread the word that, that us old people can do it. And we have. Yvonne and Derek are two of our dedicated, hard-working volunteers. And last week, they welcomed a small delegation from the American Association, AARP. Here's Holly Schultz, Senior Advisor at AARP. AARP is a membership organization um, headquartered in Washington, D.C. We have 38 million members um, over the age 50. Um, We uh, publish a magazine that goes to all 38 million members. Um, They pay $12 for membership, and they receive all kinds of discounts and benefits and Deb, did you want to share a little more sure. about the organization? We, we also advocate on their behalf and we're their voice. And so we're known sort of as a powerhouse in government at the state, local, and federal levels. And we have the largest T-shirt budget in America because when we bring our volunteers to meet with uh, political leaders, we give them a red T-shirt with AARP in the front. Um, and that helps to showcase the voices of older people, and the issues that are important to them. Deb Whitman is AARP's Chief Public Policy Officer, and she explains the reason for their visit to the Brook Waimarama Sanctuary. Once a year, my international team studies another country and what they're doing good with their older population. And so um, three of us are here in New Zealand traveling for two weeks um, with about 20 different what's meetings. What's not to like? Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, what's not to like? I want some free time so I can enjoy this beautiful country because we've been working really hard um, meeting with um, people in care homes and organizations like um, 
um, age concern and Minister of Health and other government officials. Um, today, we've come uh, to look at Age-Friendly Nelson um, and to learn about the great things that are going on here in Nelson and um, also visit this beautiful sanctuary where we can uh, speak to some of your older volunteers about the work that they're doing uh, to make this beautiful place safe for future generations of, of flora and fauna. Yeah, because we wouldn't really have this place if it weren't for volunteers. Mm -hmm. So your organization back home advocates for people to be volunteers as well in various uh, groups? We have a host of opportunities for older people to give their time as volunteers. So um, we have a, a platform even that it's called Create the Good and interested um, people that want to find volunteer programs in their um, local vicinity can type in their uh, zip code and find out what, what opportunities there are. So there are definitely... Um, um, botanical gardens or other um, types of sanctuaries that um, people could definitely sign up to volunteer their time. If so meeting a few of the volunteers here, of our many volunteers, hardworking volunteers, what are you taking away from today's visit? Um, it's, it seems to me that the volunteers really help to make sure this place is as strong as it is. And I think that's really true for a lot of nonprofits, where without that network of people giving their time and their energy and their love, they wouldn't exist. And so um, in the volunteers that I've spoken to, people are really passionate about the environment, about leaving it for future generations, um, about taking care of the earth. Um, and building education. Um, so the, the beauty of this sanctuary is that you're using people's passion uh, to create the future. You have a magazine and you're going to do articles, etc., and videos when you get back. And so what are you going to talk about uh, specifically regarding us? So uh, we're dedicating a special editorial feature to uh, the role of older volunteers in conservation. And that's what brings us to New Zealand and um, the sanctuary. Peter Rundlet is the vice president of AARP, and he too enjoyed visiting the sanctuary with his colleagues Deb and Holly. Tell me what you think. Uh, average, <laughs> mediocre. No, I'm just kidding. It's fantastic. It's really, really stunning. Um, I'm so pleased to be here, and I have to come back for a longer version of this. And a glowworm walk at night. Yes. See, what you wouldn't know, right behind us, in there, in that bush, there are hundreds or thousands of glowworms but they only glow at night, at night. okay yeah, and well do night walks here so you wouldn't know we have to come back at you, night you would and i understand there's great tours up top and in the back yeah absolutely you have to yeah, come back you will sometime yes so um for you is it inspiring to uh visit another country and see what uh, older people do oh yeah that's i mean that's exactly why we're here and it's completely um inspiring that and I hope we can capture the stories so that we can share it with the people back in the United States and elsewhere because there's so many fantastic things going on here especially to see the some of the physical aspects of what are taking of what's taking place here and what the volunteers are able to do in the sanctuary in the sanctuary yeah yeah do you not have similar uh, roles for volunteers in the states 
The United States is a big country, so I'm sure there are places where we do. Um, I haven't been exposed to it, so it's, it's terrific to see it here. Yeah. I'm glad you found inspiration here. Yes, it's, I did find inspiration here, and uh, I would love to come back. Did you want to add anything? You are the photographer. Oh, me? Yeah. So tell me a little bit about what you do for the organization. Oh, um, we write the magazine, the journal. We help them. We develop the stories and we find the stories. And we're, part we're interested in like culture and different things around the world that's different from our country. So how is this place, the sanctuary, different from other things you've seen? I think in general, just like New Zealand in general, like there's a love for culture and nature and preserving things and passing it down. I think that's the biggest takeaway I have after seeing this. And I think it's very important because some places don't have this kind of culture. So whether it's like, you know, for nature, land or people, it's pretty amazing. Lauren, what did you think of your visit here? Oh, I loved it. I thought it was really beautiful and I loved hearing the experiences of the volunteers and you know, just seeing how passionate they are about protecting the environment and, you know, saving this beautiful piece of land. We're a bit behind in the photo reading. 92,000 photos behind, in fact. So I've just gone through the whole lot and wow. I'm just beginning the assessment of the data yesterday. Um, so I can't, I'm not going to speculate on what it might no. say yet. It's but we will follow up on this once the data is um, confirmed and yes. you know what's going on. Absolutely. This was volunteer Sean McGrath a few weeks ago. Now he and staff members have managed to look through some of the data. So I caught up with Sean again to hear the latest news about the Kakariki Karaka, the orange-fronted parakeets. So it turns out it was actually 132,000 images and not 92,000 that you went through, Sean. That's correct. That's because since we last spoke, I've done 40,000 more. So, wow. So we're completely up to date now um, as of about a week ago. Fabulous. And tell me, what have you learned now that you've looked at the data? Um, there's a few interesting conclusions. One is that we appear to have a population in zigzag block who have gone nest prospecting, who have had nests, have, whose nests have fledged successfully, um, and they have never set foot on a feeding station. So for whatever reason, they are just happy to live in that block, eating the food that grows there naturally, and they have not once eaten a sunflower seed from a feeder, to our knowledge. Um, they certainly uh, never appeared on any camera. Right, and what else have you learned? Um, that birds are individuals and they have different behaviours. We've learnt that, um, that there are some birds or pairs there who, while they're nesting, so that's while the female is incubating, while they're feeding the nestlings, um, never set foot on a feeder. Once the birds, once the young have fledged and the birds are capable of flying, um, you know, the fledglings are able to move a few hundred metres, then they suddenly turn up in the, at the aviary, at the feeders, and start picking out there. Um, Is that because they might not have learned to eat naturally, or what do you think? I don't think so. It's, it's too, um, it's almost like it's a, I wouldn't quite say it's a plan, but it doesn't look accidental. So while they were nesting, they were absolutely focused on feeding their, you know, the, the male was totally focused on feeding the female and then feeding the babies. But once the babies are able to fly, then they just spread their wings a little bit and go further afield and head an extra, you know, sh short distance, a few hundred metres away to the aviary. But there's others there that, um, that 
Never did. They never bothered bringing their fledglings to the aviary. And the, uh, so there'll be fledglings in there or you know, unbanded birds now who have probably don't even know what a feeder is. They've never been taught to use them and they're just hap- happily living in there without them. Well, that's really what we want, isn't it? Yes, I think so, because in the long run, they ought to be able to live there um, on what grows there naturally, like they did in the pre-human times, and that's what we want in the future. Um, Also, the food that they would eat naturally is probably healthier than just sunflower seeds. The Sculpt Nature event is hosted by the Brook Wimarama Sanctuary this spring and is a unique new offering to the National Symposium Circuit. Sculpt Nature will be premiering as part of the Nelson Arts Festival program and takes place between 15th and 23rd of October. There'll be a focus on the use of natural materials whilst providing a new opportunity for artists interested in exploring strong environmental and conservation themes through their work. Here's our events coordinator, Olivia Gallagher, with an update. This year we have a focus on local sculptors, um, with four out of our six finalists being from the region. We've got Paul Olsen, who's going to be working with wood, Sharon Croft and Deborah Walsh, who are both fibre-based artists, Gabby Mello, who works with clay, and then from out of town we have Donald Buglass, who is a wood sculptor, and Joelle Xavier, who works with stone. Wow, it sounds exciting. How will it actually all work out at the sanctuary? So we'll have a site... Um, up at the sanctuary which will be designated for the symposium and we will have the sculptors working there throughout the day from the 15th till the 23rd um, and we will have some availability for the public to visit during that week as well. So is this the only time they're actually working with their sculptures? Yes, so there'll be some preparation that goes in for certain artists um, such as Gabby Mello who for example is Um, going to be firing some of her pieces in advance and then assembling and arranging them on site. Um, But most of the artists will be starting from scratch on the 15th. So this event stands out from other similar events around the country. What's special about this one? Yes, it does. So this event um, is true to its name in that it's Sculpt Nature and it is about basically bringing together conservation and the arts um, and really bringing sculptors in who are interested in creating works which reflect on their relationship with nature um, and also works which echo messages of conservation. How can the visitors view the artworks? So throughout the week of the symposium, uh, we will be open between 2 and 4 p.m. for visitors to come up for free and have a look at the sculptors at work. Um, But then on the 23rd of October, we will have our public open day, which includes voting and an auction of the sculptures. So that's the time for everybody to come up and have a final look as well. The winning sculpture will be installed along one of the main walking tracks at the sanctuary. Recent visitors to the sanctuary will have noticed all the building work happening at and around the visitor centre. We have come a long way in the last few months and staff have now moved into their new office. The Visitor Centre host office has also been done up and now it's time to refurbish the main hall where we meet and greet our many visitors. There's now scaffolding around the hall and here's Ops Manager Nick Robson with a brief update. 
Now that the office and smoker room have been done, um, the the main room at the visitor centre is being done up. So it's um, it, it's a major makeover. The roof's coming off and being put back on. Um, it's going to be made more weatherproof, more insulated, um, and a bit bigger as well. So right now we have scaffolding around the building, which means uh, the way visitors will come and see us is a little bit complicated. Yeah, so it's going to be constantly changing, really. Um, at the moment, we could still use a visitor centre, but once the builders start inside the building, then we won't be able to, and we'll have a little cabin outside, um, and we'll operate from there. And in a few weeks or a month or two, it'll all look amazing. Yeah, yes, I'd, let's not put a deadline on it, but um, it will certainly be ready by the, by the summer, um, and then it will be, uh, yeah, I'm sure it'll be a fantastic building, yeah. Lastly on today's show is an update from our educator Rick Field. Tomorrow he's hosting a Teacher's Day at the Sanctuary and Rick is with me on the phone now. Kia ora Rick, tell me about tomorrow's event. So um, tomorrow's a PD time for our teachers, so that's not periodic detention, that's professional development day and we've got about 30 teachers coming both from early childhood and primary. Unfortunately, we didn't manage to get any secondary teachers. But the whole aim is to give them skills and um, provide them with uh, the ability to connect to nature themselves and provide them with the skills to be able to use nature connection for um, getting their kids out, teaching whatever parts of the curriculum that they want, but in nature. So um, it's nature connection and resilience. Yeah, so, so it's a little bit different to what you do when we have all the school kids coming up, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, this provides uh, a way of, of getting, um, well, teaching the teachers, obviously, you're going to reach a lot more kids because mm -hmm. they're going to go out and teach all of their classes. So it's, um, yeah, as I say, providing those skills so that they will then be able to take their kids out, connect them to nature. I mean, it can be really simple things. Obviously, not everyone has a sanctuary, but part of my kind of vision is that every school, every home, every park can be a sanctuary of its own. So the idea of my school, my sanctuary is something that I really want to promote so that the schools themselves can start to think that it's a sanctuary both for the kids in terms of being a place perhaps in some of these kids' lives it's the most stable place they have and it's the safest place they have. But we can also make it a safe place for nature. And both of them go hand in hand. Both the mental and emotional health of the kids goes hand in hand with the health of, of nature and, and um, wildlife being able to establish within their schools. So that's something that we're really going to be promoting. Yeah, and some really important messages there. Yeah, and, and a lot of fun too. I mean, I know as a kid myself, I didn't really relate to sitting at my desk and copying things off the blackboard, which was <laughs> pretty much all it was um, for a lot of the time. Not all the teachers were like that, but, you know, that traditionally had been the, the conveyor belt, uh, industrial age um, sort of education blueprint for a long time and of course things have changed but still there needs to be um, a bit of a reconnect and I think around COVID that, that certainly did 
um, start people looking at that. They notice nature more. I mean, I think that's the first stage is actually noticing. You know, we get so busy. Kids obviously have distractions with screens, and I'm trying to get kids not just looking at their screens, but in in the outdoors with their screens. So screen time mixed with green time is kind of the catchphrase. So we can, because the world is um, surrounded with technology now, and it's normal to these kids have known nothing different. Uh, So we need to latch into that in order to get them hooked into being outside. Um, often you see kids and they'll be watching TV while they're on their phone, while they've got their computer trying to do their homework. I know with my kids I've seen that and it's like, what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, Rick, you've been involved with the sanctuary in a few different roles from pretty much the get-go nearly 20 years ago and you're still extremely passionate about the sanctuary. Tell me about that passion. Well, the place itself is is amazing and having it so close to town having this wonderful resource where you can get into nature you could be in the deepest depths of fiordland um and it's only you know 10 15 minutes from from downtown nelson so it's and of course the community involvement because without the community it wouldn't exist at all and it wouldn't have a future either so um yeah, all, all power to the to the volunteers. Absolutely, and, and I'm trying to think ahead. So these kids that are coming through, we can turn them on to nature and then you know, they're going to take the baton on, especially around uh, predator-free 2050 when we're, we're trying to change hearts and minds in order yeah. to get everyone paddling in the same direction on this walker. Yeah, exactly. Thank you, Rick. I wish you a great day tomorrow, and thanks for coming on the show. Thank you very much for having me. No worries. It is September and our opening hours are still Friday, Saturday, Sunday from 10 a.m. till 4 p.m. We look forward to welcoming you to the Brook Waimearama Sanctuary. This is all we have time for today. I'm your host, Kirsten Rothschild, and on behalf of the Brook Waimearama Sanctuary, we thank you for tuning in to Voices from the Brook on Fresh FM. The podcast you just listened to was a live recording of a radio show. First broadcast on Fresh FM, the Top of the South's community access media station, with support from New Zealand On Air. The funding of Access Media makes these podcasts possible. To find similar programs by other community access media stations, go online to accessmedia.nz.